Good morning, everybody. So is it snowing outside? I was asking first service. My wife, Kirsten, is up at Troy, Missouri at her parents' church because they're celebrating their 50th anniversary, and she took cake. And she said, it's snowing up here. And, of course, we didn't get to be so lucky, I guess. So <laughs> I love snow. What's wrong with snow on April 15th? That's the way God intended it, right? Yeah. Hey, i got to give a big shout-out not only to my in-laws, John and Burnell King, who are celebrating their 50th anniversary, but uh, Harvester Christian Church, our parent church, took up a special offering several weeks ago. Uh, they told everybody what they were going to do, and everybody came to church. They were going to take 10% of the offering that day and give it to us, their daughter church, which they did, and that was amazing. Let's just go ahead and say thanks to God and Harvester. Um, 10% of their offering is like a whole week of offering for us. That was a huge blessing for us as we've moved into this new building. So thank you to them. God, thank you, Card. If you'd like to sign that for them later, just catch me and you can. So if you're new here or if you missed last week, we just started a new series called I Want to Believe in God, but... And we're talking about the different obstacles or barriers to get in the way of people coming to God or coming to faith in Jesus. And it's a, we got the idea for this series from Pastor Craig Rochelle at Life Church. And it's really just thinking about all those barriers that keep people from believing in God. Like last week, we talked about uh, the image of God that people have, uh, that he's an on-demand God. And they have this perception that if there is a God, he should answer my prayers and he should do what I want him to do. And then when he doesn't do that, we're disappointed. And we think, well, he's either not there or he doesn't care about me. And then let's just be honest. Would you really want a God who does everything that you ask when you ask it? Do you want God to be a genie in the bottle? Do you want God to be a butler? Some people, some of the things they ask for, I'm not sure that'd be a great idea. So and we found out, you know, sometimes the ideas that people have in their mind about God when they're rejecting God don't match up with reality. Like, as people describe to me the God that they don't believe in, I'm like, I don't believe in that God either. That God doesn't exist. So we're tackling some of these barriers to faith that people have. And I would encourage you to think about who you know in your own life that maybe would benefit from hearing these messages. Like, next week, we're going to get into another topic. Like, I want to believe in God, but people keep getting in the way. And another thing about next week is so cool. I love this about our church every year when this time rolls around on the calendar. It's Baby Dedication Sunday. So we're going to dedicate the babies in both services. It's just amazing. I love being a part of a church that values children. And no joke, one of the things I love the most when I go out to my office or go out the foyer doors, I love seeing handprints about this high on the glass. Because it tells me we got little ones here all over the place, and they're welcome here, and I want handprints everywhere, and I want spilled juice everywhere, and I want the sound of babies because it means our church is doing a good job of reaching everybody. And so come next week and be part of that. And and, uh, in the week after that, we're going to tackle another topic, which maybe is something you've thought about a lot, which is, if there's a God, why don't I feel him? Why doesn't he make himself more obvious? Why doesn't he? You ever wonder that? Why doesn't God speak? Maybe it's like drop a rock and get our attention. So that'll be a couple of weeks from now. And then the, probably the biggest topic that a lot of people struggle with, and maybe you have is, if there's a God, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Why does it seem like everything's just out of control? If God is good, wouldn't you want to stop that stuff? If he's powerful, he should be stopping it. So apparently there's either not a God or he's not very good. And I want to say, well, that's not necessarily what the Bible says. So we want to look at that. Today I want to speak to the person who says, I want to believe in God. What's up with all the rules? I, I want to believe in God, but I don't want to become a fuddy-duddy. I don't want my family to think I joined a cult. <laughs> like, why is there th- everything that seems like it's fun in the world is off-limits if you're a Christian? You know, it seems like maybe, like, my life is going fine without God telling me, do this, don't do that, stay away from that, certainly. And there's a lot of people who have that viewpoint. And maybe you feel that way now, or you've felt that way at some point in your life. I want to believe, but there's just 
too many expectations, too many rules, too many restrictions. It just seems like anything that would be good in life is off limits. Like a couple of people that I read, they said this, like Keith, he's an artist who lives in Brooklyn. He said, Christians believe they have the absolute truth, that everybody else has to believe or else. That attitude endangers everyone's freedom. And then another artist, Chloe, chimed in. She said, a one-truth-fits-all approach is just too confining. The Christians I know don't seem to have freedom to think for themselves. I believe every individual must determine truth for him or herself. Fair enough. There are a lot of people who look at Christians or people who believe in God and say, man, you just guys, you got a straitjacket on. You can't think for yourself. You can't do it. Just normal people do. It seems so restricting. Uh, an extreme example of that would be Christopher Hitchens, uh, atheist and author. He died a few years ago, passed away. But he wrote in his book, God is Not Great. Just Maybe you can relate to this or know somebody who could. I think it would be rather awful if it were true that God exists. If there was this permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision and invigilation of everything you did, you would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It would be like living in North Korea. Obviously, Christopher Hitchens has this viewpoint of God that he's just a celestial entity, if he really exists, waiting to zap you the moment you get out of line. And I would agree with Christopher Hitchens. If that's what God is like, that would be awful. Do we really live in North Korea? What's the truth here? Is God really waiting to thump people who get out of order? Does God really place out of order and off-limits signs on all the really good stuff in life? Does he really say, hey, 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 stop that, stop that, you're having fun, quit it. (laughs) Is he really a killjoy God? Or is that way the Bible describes him? If you've got a worship folder here, let's just go ahead and pull that out. You can take notes or follow along. And if you want to, you can just, we want to acknowledge something here. Let's acknowledge that the Bible describes God as placing rules, boundaries, and limitations on people. He has expectations for human behavior. Let's just go ahead and admit that right off the bat. If the Bible's accurate about who he is, he is a God who does say some things are off limits. For example, one of the things that that Jewish, Muslim, and Christian faiths all agree on is the Ten Commandments. Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? I mean, I know you know that they are. Do you know them? (laughs) Hey, here, this is easy. If you want to know something about the Bible, just go to the beginning, and you'll be in Genesis. Go one more section over till you get to Exodus, and that's where you find them. So if you've ever wondered, where did the Ten Commandments come from? They come from the Bible, Exodus 20. Go ahead and find it if you want, if you've got a Bible or a smartphone app. I want us to go ahead and, um, let's go ahead and say the Ten Commandments. You don't have to say them, but let's say them together, and you don't have to raise your hand if you know them already. Uh, Jeff already got us to raise our hand once, which I'm Scottish, and I'm proud of myself. I got, he got me to raise my hand in church. Good job. Um, we don't do that. We don't do anything we're told to do. Okay, so let's go through the Ten Commandments. Here we go. Do you know them? Let's, everybody should know at least, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Right, that's the huge thing. God says, I'm the only God. And then number two, he says, don't make an idol, graven image. Don't make an object and bow down to it and ask for help from it. Number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And then we get on to number four, which you're starting to get fuzzy now. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Take a day off. Don't go 24-7, 365. God said, I took six days to create the world. Took a seventh day off. I did that for you, not me. You guys need to rest. Don't kill yourselves. So that's number four. Number five, honor your... Yeah, that's the first command with the promise. You'll have a long life if you honor your parents. Honor them, obey them, take care of them when they're older. So that's it. And then we get into some of the ones where we're more fresh again on them. Number six, do not... 
murder, respect human life, take care of people. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, no stealing, right? Don't respect other people's stuff. Number nine, no false testimony. Don't lie. Don't uh, say things that aren't true. Don't make things up to try to help somebody else. And number 10, do not covet. Don't look at your neighbor's stuff, your neighbor's spouse. Don't look at something else and say, I should have that. That's the Ten Commandments. This, God says, are my rules, boundaries, and limitations for your life. Respect other people's stuff. Respect, respect other people's lives. Respect me. Take a day off. doesn't seem that burdensome to me. If you are a Christian, you can go to the New Testament. You find the teachings of Jesus that guide our life, right? Like Jesus said, uh, what are you supposed to do with your enemies? Smite them, right? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, right? Turn the other cheek, right? Uh, go the second mile, right? Some of you are fuzzy on this, but this is the things that Jesus taught. So bottom line is, yes, there are some expectations for us, God's will, God's rules, God's life. And then God says, I want you to live within these. Now, I've got a little illustration here to kind of help us understand what this is like, because there's, there's different ways that we can live in relation to God's rules and laws. So this right here represents our life, my life, your life, just pick. It's a human life. And right now where it's at, it's centered in God's will. This is a person who just lives completely within the boundaries that God has set. And so that's one way that we could live with God's laws. We could completely comply. You can write that down if you want in your worship folder. We can live life completely inside the boundaries that God has set, which is not really as confining as you would think. There's a lot of latitude to just within, don't kill people, don't steal stuff. There's a whole, your life doesn't have to exactly match mine. We don't have to be clones of one another to follow God. We don't have to be a drone just following a preset routine. You can have a great life that's completely different than mine and still be within God's boundaries. But that's not the only way that people live life. Many people will take it this way, and they will move over into an area where, whether partially or completely, they just ignore God's expectations. You know, and most people probably never live completely out. They, they keep some of the rules, whether by accident or on purpose. But this is a person who, whether they just don't even know what God wants from them, never read the Bible, didn't have any moral training, or they do know and they just don't care, that's the person who lives over here. They're outside, in, in some way, shape, or fashion outside of God's will. There's a verse in the Bible in the New Testament that describes life like this. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 17. It'll be on the screen as well. This is a, a word that was written to Christians in a church. So just keep that in mind as you hear it. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. I'm going to stop just for a second because you might just hear the word Gentile. If you know what it is, you just blow past it. What is a Gentile? Divide all the people in the world. Some of you know. Divide all the people in the world into two groups. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile. Right? So... First of all, God gave, through Moses, the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people, Jews, Gentiles. The way Paul, who wrote this word, meant it, not only just people who don't know the Ten Commandments, this is just everybody who just doesn't really know God. And he's writing to a group of people who are Christians now, but they always haven't been. So he says this, I say, live no longer. Like, you used to live over there, but now live no longer as the Gentiles do because they're hopelessly confused. Well, how are they hopelessly confused? Look at verse 19. Well, for one thing, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure. They eagerly practice every kind of impurity, which is, I feel like I'm describing American culture in many ways today. 
I'm not judging anybody. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just pointing out that a lot of people in American culture live outside of what the Bible describes as the rules, boundaries, and limitations he set. We would all agree to that, right? There was a time in American culture, some of you who have a lot of white in your hair can remember a time when American culture and expectations pretty much lined up with scriptural expectations. People just, they even, they thought that the biblical stuff was right and wrong, even if they didn't necessarily do it. We're, we're beyond that now. A lot of people live this way, and they don't think there's anything wrong with it. That's all that Paul's talking about. There's, there's a point when you become a Christian, you've got to stop living over there. You've got to start moving into God's expectations. You've got to just quit saying, if it feels good, do it. You've got to quit saying, you do you, I do me, and we do whatever we want. Now, this is where we're at as a culture, but that's not where you want to be with God. And what happens is a lot of people choose to live over here or they live over there because they think life with God is going to ruin everything. He's a killjoy God. Here's my question for you. And this, if, even if you agree with what I'm saying this morning, this is a question you maybe should ask friends from time to time in the conversations you have with them. What if God didn't put all of the things over here? I'm not even going to go into what it is. You know what they are. But what if he didn't put this off limits because he's mean? He just hates people who have a good time. What if he put this off limits because he cares about you and what happens over here is dangerous for you? Whole different way of thinking about it, isn't it? Several years ago, two guys broke into an abandoned Brazilian hospital they were going to steal scrap metal and sell it for money. And uh, they, they loaded up a piece of medical equipment into their wheelbarrow, ignoring the signs that were around them about what it was to take back and take apart and sell. I don't know that this is a picture of the actual warning sign, but this is what they saw. Right? They ignored that on the equipment and in the room. What they had loaded up into their wheelbarrow was a piece of equipment for radiation treatment for people who have cancer. At the center of it, it had a core with radioactive cesium in it. So they took it, they took it home and started taking it apart, ignoring the fact that as they were exposed to this, they both started vomiting, yet they persisted. They continued to take it apart. The next day, one of the guys had to go to the doctor because they both had diarrhea. They're throwing up. He had a burn on his hand where he put his hand over the aperture for this radiation equipment. And still, they kept taking it apart. They got down to the point where they pulled the core out with the cesium in it. And then they noticed there's like a little glass window. They took a screwdriver and poked a hole in the glass until then they got a hole in there. And now there's this blue glowing light that was very beautiful. So they took the screwdriver, stuck it in there, pulled out a couple of granules of that radioactive material. They thought it was wonderful. So obviously, being men, their first thought is, huh, I wonder what happens if we burn it, which they did. Over the next couple of days, they sold it to another man who then sold it to a scrapyard. It just went all over the place. And everybody was fascinated by the blue glow. Everybody pulled particles out, including one home where there's a six-year-old girl. And she was playing on the floor, and she saw some of the blue dust on the floor, and she put it on her face like makeup. Some of it had got on her sandwich, and she ate it. In the end, thousands of people were exposed to this radioactive material. Hundreds of people were tested to actually have the material on their body when they were tested. Four people died immediately, including that little girl. They had to bury her in a lead-lined coffin because of the radiation from her body. God puts things off limits for our protection. When we think about the Ten Commandments, you should think about them like a loving father saying, don't run with scissors in your hand. Look both ways before you cross the street. 
Don't put your tongue on a, a cold pole. It's not going to end well. Dostoevsky, the author, said, where there's no God, all is permitted. And I would add, where there's no God, children get hurt. When all is permitted, it's not in our benefit. It's not to our advantage. Pastor Andy Stanley is talking about uh, somebody that he met for counseling. Her name was Jenny. And she obviously gave permission for him to share this story. It's just, uh, you know, what happens when you step outside of God's bounds? She came to him, she was like late 20s, early 30s, and she said, so I've got a question for you. I'm married and divorced, and I want to know about what the Bible says about having sex outside of marriage. I know that the Bible says don't do that, but I'm kind of assuming that's for teenagers because I've already been married, and that feels really restrictive. Why would God make that? I just don't make, that doesn't make any sense to me. So Annie said, I paused, and I thought for a second, and I didn't know what to say to her. Not because I didn't know what I believed. It was more of how do I say this in a way that she can hear me and really get what I'm trying to say. And he said, I was just getting ready to launch into my sexes for marriage sermonette when another thought popped into my mind. He said he thinks that God gave him this thought. He looked at her and he said, Jenny, I'll just ask you a question. Has sex outside of marriage made your life better or more complicated? And man, she just, she just went, Wow. She looked at the ground, and then she started crying, and she said, more complicated. And then he paused, and he was gentle. He wasn't being harsh or mean. He just said, you know, Jenny, that's why God puts the boundaries there. That's why he says only within the marriage relationship. It's not for your harm. It's not because he doesn't like anybody to have a good time. It's because he knows things that we don't know. He knows things that will hurt us. He's put limits in place for our protection. Listen to this. This is out of the Bible in Romans. Actually, you can look it up if you'd like, and you can just stay in Romans because we're going to be there for a while. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. This is also written to Christians. It says, don't you realize that you became a slave to whatever you choose to obey? So you can become a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You wouldn't skip on down to verse 20. So when you were slaves to sin, you were free from any obligation to do right. What was the result? You're now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. I'm going to hit pause on the scripture here. I think all of us know what it's like to live here in some way, shape, fashion. That's like the story of humanity. But, and I will admit, if you are here and you're starting to try to move your life towards obeying God and you're trying to start honoring him and maybe you become a Christian, if you move from here to here, it is going to feel restricting. Because you're going to start saying no to things that you used to say yes to. You're going to start embracing new habits that you never worried about before. And in a sense, is that restricting your freedom? Is that giving you some constraints? Yes. Here's the ironic thing. Ironically, when you start moving towards God's law, those restrictions actually bring you more freedom, more joy, and more contentment than you ever had when you just did whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. Everybody else is doing this. This is just how we do things in our culture today. Now, there's a third way that people relate with God's law. You, know, you just completely comply, do your own thing, kind of a hybrid of the two. Here's a story that a lot of people live, and maybe this is even your story. You, maybe you sowed your wild oats, you've been out there for a while, and you're starting to move towards God, and they just keep going. They get to the point where in their life, and maybe this is you, they're actually stricter than God. Like, here's what God expects, and then they've added some more to it. They're, they, they, like, take what God's rules are, and they add to what God expects. And I can tell you in the Bible, there's a perfect example of this. Have you ever wondered, if you've ever read the Bible, maybe the, the Gospels, 
why Jesus is so angry with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the religious leaders. That is, if you've read the Bible, just do you ever notice like he's constantly like yelling at them and fussing at them? Very strong language. How would you, let me just put it in this context, how would you talk to your kids if they were two or three steps from the street at a full run and there's a car coming? Would you not yell a little bit? They're like there. What if your friend or your family member, you're at the Grand Canyon and they're doing a selfie and they're like getting ready to step over the edge, which people have done that at the Grand Canyon. It makes my heart stop. Would you not raise your voice just a little bit? Jesus is raising his voice with the Pharisees because he's just as concerned about what they're doing as he is about this. It's not good for them either. And you think, well, why were the Pharisees so strict? And why did Jesus always get mad at them? You have to have just a little bit of a history lesson. Just stay with me. It's like one minute, but there's a big payoff to this. You'll understand so much about the Bible. If you go back in Israel's history before Jesus, maybe a thousand years before, when Moses is getting the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai, he gives the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people. They immediately started breaking every single one of them. I am not kidding you. Just read the Bible. They, like, used it as a checklist for what to do. Like, God says, don't do that. Must be fun. Let's do it. It's like hundreds of years of just doing whatever they want. They were horrible. Archaeological evidence shows that they, just was, they were awful to each other. They, they didn't obey God's law, which eventually brought them judgment. And you've heard about this in world history class in school. The Assyrians conquered the northern part of Israel. That's where the ten lost tribes of Israel went. They're just gone. Then finally, the southern part of Israel, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And so the people start going, why in the world did God let us down? Why didn't he protect us from our enemies? Why did he allow these horrible things? The temple in Jerusalem to be destroyed. The walls torn down of Jerusalem. They came to the conclusion it's because we were awful. We didn't obey God's law. We didn't respect him. We didn't honor each other. So God had to punish us. So then they swung the pendulum too far the other way. And they said, well, we don't ever want that to happen to us again. And they became so careful to obey God's laws that they took it too far. That's where you have the rise of the Pharisees. Uh, it started around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. By the time Jesus gets onto the scene, they've, here's what they did. So if this is the, the edge of the Grand Canyon and there's a fence here to keep you away from the edge, to keep you safe, the Pharisees said, well, we don't want to ever risk getting God's disfavor again, so let's go ahead and put a fence inside the fence. Did God ask you to put a fence 10 feet in? No, but if we stop here, we never have to worry about being there. So... By the time Jesus came around, there are over 600 new rules that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have invented. It's the fence inside the fence to keep you safe from breaking the actual rule. One example, my gosh. So what was like the fourth commandment? Uh, honor the Sabbath, take a day off. The Sabbath was Saturday for the Jewish people, so they would always, you know, just, God says, just don't work. Just make your food the day before so you don't have to cook on the Sabbath. Go worship, enjoy your family, just take a day off. How do you, you know, just enjoy yourself? The Pharisees came up with, let me get this right, 65 new rules to clarify how you keep the Sabbath. I didn't know you needed a rule to tell you how to take a day off, but they thought you did. They want, well, we we just want to make sure we don't offend God, not honoring the Sabbath. So they even meticulously set out how far you could walk from your house on the Sabbath before you were actually working including talking about how far you could walk to go to the bathroom before you were working on the Sabbath. I'm sorry, but I'm not holding it till Sunday. So 
I'm going to have to break God's law. And I think he's probably going to be okay with that. And here's the thing. The Pharisees were actually stricter than God himself. It's like God says, I didn't tell you you had to stop there. If you've got to go, go. <laughs> but that's the Pharisees. So you come down to a verse like this. This is Jesus. Uh, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 23 in the Gospels. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, well, the teachers of the religious law, the Pharisees, they're the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. But here's the thing. Don't follow their example. They don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands. They never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is just for show. They just want to look really good to God and to other people. This right here, this right here is why some of you spent a long time not going to church. Because there was someone in your life who was hyper-religious. There was maybe a church experience in your life that was ultra-conservative, stricter than God. And you're just like, if that's God, I don't want any part of it. And you're like, get me out of here as fast as I can. I remember growing up, somebody invited me to go to their church. And I went, and the, the pastor was speaking about sin, which I was a junior high boy. I probably needed that sermon. But he's, a, he's listing off stuff that I didn't know were sins. Like, he's saying, like, you shouldn't be playing cards. You shouldn't be dancing. Like, wow, okay. <laughs> it seems kind of strict. Um, you, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol or tobacco. I know that stuff's off limits. Okay. And then he goes, like, you shouldn't even go somewhere where these things are happening. You shouldn't even go somewhere where they sell alcohol. Like, really? Wow. At this time... In my life, in my hometown, the grocery stores weren't open on Sunday yet. I don't know if you grew up in a situation like that. So it's Sunday, and your kid needs milk. You need bread for lunches on, on Monday. You need diapers. Where are you going to go? In my town, you go to Larry's Quick Stop. Problem being, for the people who go to that church, you can't go to Larry's because what do they sell in the cooler? Alcohol. What do they got above the counter? Cigarettes. You can't go there because somebody might think that you're there getting alcohol. <laughs> really, is that what God's going to say? Don't go in there. Somebody might think you're buying. I'm buying milk for my kid. Whatever. I don't even know if they sold alcohol on Sunday. But that was, did God really say that? And then people respond like, I don't want any part of that. Well, that's not even God. Are you sure you're rejecting God as he actually is? If you've ever thought, boy, I just, I want to believe in God, but I just can't go for all the rules. Let me tell you, killjoy God does not exist. This, this God this is a whole lot of people trying to close the gap between their bad behavior that they know about and pretending like doesn't exist and God's holiness. So a whole lot of people trying to make up for a whole lot of time spent over here and hoping that enough time over here will make up for this, which is just absolutely not how it works. It just never will. God doesn't want us to do that. God established his law when he says to live here. That's for our freedom, not to confine us. He wants to free us and give us a full life. Now, here's the thing. It really comes down to how you view God as to how you feel about God when you see his law. Let me give you an example. When you're driving, how do you feel when a police officer pulls up behind you as you're driving? I'm not even talking when they spin the lights up. Just the, he happens to pull out behind you. Isn't that an awful feeling? 
I go from being a great driver to being a horrible driver the moment a police officer gets behind me because I'm too self-conscious. I'm like, every five seconds, I'm checking the speedometer. I've gone from being able to drive, you know, with a Mountain Dew in one hand and chips in the other. I'm just kind of driving with my knee, but everything's good. And now there's a police officer. I'm like, whoa, 10 and 2. I'm good. <laughs> Is he still back there? Oh, man. And that's what, right? Because you're, you're thinking, he's just waiting for me to make one infraction, just one momentary lapse of good judgment in my driving, and he's going to smite me. I'm going to get a ticket. How does it change if the car behind you is no longer a police officer? It's like your dad following you. And you're going to the gas station, he's going to fill your tank up for you. You're driving your car and it's your mom following you, and you're going to go meet at the restaurant together. It's your good friend behind you. Doesn't that change everything? I have a feeling that a whole lot of people who think God is out to get them really don't understand that he's a loving father not the police officer who's just waiting to zap you and to smite you. And that changes everything for me. In my experience, a lot of people making up time here and here, it just doesn't work. Thankfully, the Bible says you don't even have to worry about doing that. Let me just tell you three simple things very quickly about life with Jesus. I need to wrap this up. So uh, just follow along in your notes. If you want to write these down, these I'm going to go pretty quick. The first thing about life with Jesus that I love, you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying God's law. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, just follow me here. Living here is a good way to live, but living here doesn't do anything about making God like you more. Okay? No matter how hard you try, you can't make up for life spent over here by just saying, well, I'll just be really good here. I'll just do extra good things. I'll, do, I'll be really careful tomorrow not to do bad things. Let me go ahead and read you a verse out of the Bible so you know I'm telling you the truth. Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 20. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Uh, Dallas Willard, his philosopher, used to teach at uh, UC Berkeley before he passed away in the philosophy department. He says, the law is the course of rightness, but it's not the source of rightness. That's the first part of the verse. So you think, like, well, then why did God give the law if it's not to make us a good person? Well, that's the second thing. Write this down. God gave us his law to help us see that we need a savior. That's, why did God give us the law? He gave it so we need, no, we need a savior. I want to spend a couple moments here. I was, go ahead and let me read the rest of verse 20 of Romans 3 because I didn't read the whole thing. It says there, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Here it is. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. God gave us the law to say, hey, you need some help. You need a savior. And this is important because a lot of people, I hear this all the time. And maybe you even said this, and I'm not criticizing you, but think about what you're saying when you say, well, look, I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. I don't do bad people. There's bad people out there, but I'm not one of them. Don't judge me. I'm good. And I would agree with you. You probably are a really good person. But I would also maybe ask you to consider, are we really the best, most impartial judges of our own behavior? Are we really good at saying, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the lines? Let's take it into a different arena for a second just to kind of think about this. Last year, AAA um, did a survey about driving habits. Let me just go ahead and ask you. You get to raise your hand again. How many of you would say, I am a good driver? I am. Some of you are being honest because <laughs> I follow you. So um, here's, here's the thing. 83% of American drivers think that they are better than average at driving. I'm not real good at math, but I think it's impossible for 83% of us to be better than the other 13% of us. I think that's how it works. Here's the thing that cracked me up. Very young drivers, 16 to 18 years old, are the most confident in their driving ability. People who are 16 to 18 years old, 
I'm not exaggerating, 99.2% of them said, I am better than other drivers. 0.2% of you were honest. <laughs> so here's, but this, that's even, here's the kicker. So 99.8% of teenagers say that they're better than other drivers, that I'm more careful than other drivers. Then they ask a follow-up question. And it turns out that, um, yeah, it was 33%. 33% of the drivers that they surveyed who said I'm a better than other people admitted to texting and driving in the last month. And same number of people admitted to driving 15, 15 miles an hour or more over the speed limit in the last month. Yeah, you're more careful. So we're not very good at judging ourselves. I'm not a bad person. Well, maybe compared to some of the other people who go to church here, you're not a bad person. I'm sorry, you all are really good people. Compared to the other people who <laughs> didn't show up for church this morning, you're not a bad person. But compared to God's absolute pure standards, none of us hit the mark. None of us can say that we're absolutely 100% everything that we should be. And that's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's going to be okay. Because that's the third thing. Jesus will make you right with God if you'll trust him. This is uh, Romans 3, 21 through 24. Let me just give this to you as we close out. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everybody. Everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's what the cross is about. Jesus did for us what we could not do. Jesus took the bill that we owe for our sin and said, I'll pay it with my own life. There. Now we can be friends. And then as Katie read that verse earlier out of Titus, amazing thought that when you commit to Jesus, he takes the rest of your life to teach you how to be a good person. He says, look, I'm patient. I got all the time in the world. I'm a good teacher. I'm going to show you every single day how to live here. I'm not going to stick my finger in your face and scold you and criticize you. Look, there's no amount of good or hyper good things you can do to make up for that stuff. There's no amount of avoiding the bad stuff that'll make up for the, you know, that'll make up for that. But you don't have to. It's like every Sunday, that's why I'm so excited to talk to you and to talk to anybody that comes here and the people that you bring because we have the most awesome message ever that God wants to be our friends, that he wants to be connected to us through Jesus, that he's willing to forget all of our sins if you say yes to him. Today maybe is a day where you need to do that. And you've never done that before. You, like, it's never occurred to you that maybe you should repent of your sins and tell God you're sorry and try to change. If, if you need to, today is a great day to do that, and you're in a great place. You're among friends here. Or maybe for you, you, like, you accepted God, and you went away, and you're trying to slowly move back towards him. Like, awesome. Good for you. My life is an everyday challenge to just repent and turn back to God. If you've never said yes to Jesus before, today maybe is the day where you just say yes to him. I repent of my sins. Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to be baptized. And we would love to do that even for you today.